Muslims already believe in one God, but they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So Jesus is what? He's showing up and saying, hey, by the way, I'm the Son of God. God is moving around the world, but as his message spreads, so does persecution. When the church is persecuted, the church thrives. The stand of our persecuted brothers and sisters, it's the same one that should be our foundation as well. We take our stand on the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we don't back down from anybody. We'll hear more stories of God's great work around the world this week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. I'm Todd Nettleton. Recently, one of the Voice of the Martyrs international workers, Brother Jonathan, shared a challenging message with our staff during our weekly chapel service. It challenged me, and I wanted to share it with our radio listeners as well. Jonathan talked about the gospel wildfire that we see burning in hostile and restricted nations, and he challenged us as Christians to build that same kind of wildfire for Jesus in our communities. I know you'll be blessed by his words, so here's Brother Jonathan from VOM's International Ministries work. So what I want to do is I want to start, because some people say, well, I kind of get VOM, but what does is, what is inter, the international work look like on the field? So I want to give you my elevator speech, okay? At conferences, I have an hour, so I spend more time. But I'm going to give you the quick elevator speech of what our work looks like on the field. The first thing we do, we do three things. There's this huge river of valid Christian mission work in the world, and there are people laying their lives down around the world for all kinds of in all kinds of ways, for the sake of the kingdom. We at VOM, we do three things, and we do them very, very well. We do them to the very best of our abilities. And those three things are this. One, we respond to persecution. We, we say it all the time. If we had $1 to spend, we would spend it on persecution, responding to persecution. And what that looks like is if, if a pastor, a leader, a Christian suffers, is thrown in prison or beaten up or, or God forbid, killed, we're going to stand with that family. We're going to make sure they have a place to live and food to eat and the children go to school and those kinds of things, that they're in a network that they're supported. And we're going to do that uh, wherever it is, however much it costs. We're going to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters. That was the vision of Richard Wormbrand when he launched this mission. Amen? So that also looks like paying medical bills or legal fees. In India, it happens all the time that a pastor gets beaten up and then he gets arrested and thrown in jail for disturbing communal harmony. And we've learned that for a couple hundred dollars, we can get that brother out of jail and he won't end up in the legal system. So all these kinds of things, medical work, the prosthetics clinic in Nigeria, things like that, whatever we can do to respond to persecution, to stand alongside our persecuted brothers and sisters, that's what we're going to do. Amen? And we're doing that this year in 69 countries around the world. And it's an incredible work. I, I pray whether you work here or you're a volunteer, that every month when the newsletter comes out, you devour that thing. And that you look at the blog and you keep an eye on, this is a way to help keep your eyes on the fields, for they are wide unto harvest. 
So we respond to persecution. The second thing we do is advancing the kingdom. We do that through our Frontline Ministries Fund. And what that looks like is coming alongside indigenous church planters and networks and helping them go farther, taking the gospel into the most dark, remote, hostile areas on our planet. And that looks like all kinds of things. It looks like motorbikes and bicycles. It looks like training and and films and all kinds of things. Whatever we can do to help our our brothers and sisters take the gospel into places that that me as a, a big, fat, white guy could never go. And we're seeing the gospel go forward. So if you talk to the guys on the IM staff, we really think of ourselves as frontier missionaries. Because what we do, I leave in a couple of days to go overseas. And one of the cool things about that trip, I'm going to sit in a room with guys who are heroes to me. Rock stars in the kingdom of God, as far as I'm concerned. And I get to say, brother, tell me what God's put on your heart for your people. And listen for ways that we as Voice of the Martyrs can come alongside them and see the gospel go into these unreached and hostile areas. It is maybe the most exciting work, I think, for a lot of our guys, because it's just amazing. You get to sit there and, and listen to things, and they say, man, if we only had a motorbike, I'm, I'm, our guys are walking every day to go to different villages, if we only had a motorbike. And we're able to say, because of, of our donors and because of this work, brother, we can give you a motorbike. Go, go, do it. So we're doing that, advancing the kingdom. So Respond to persecution, advancing the kingdom. The third thing is Bibles, the most valuable thing on the planet. I don't know if you know this, but if you look at your possessions around your home, the most valuable thing in your home is this. Amen? A lot of times we, we get kind of confused and we think, oh, it's my car, it's my house, it's my golf clubs, right? It's those kinds of things. No, this is the very word of God that he has given to us. It is a prized possession. There are people millions of people around our world, millions of Christians who would give anything to have one of these, much less like me to have 20 of these, right? Distributing the word of God. We will distribute about 1.2 million. It kind of fluctuates. It depends on how how the year's going. About 1.2 million Bibles this year, and all in hostile and restricted access countries. And what that looks like for us is everything from going to the Bible Society in India and buying a bunch of Bibles and shipping them north to printing them underground on in-country printing presses to smuggling them from one country to another. It's kind of fun. I'll I'll just tell you, for the IM guys, there's a little bit of adrenaline junkie that runs through an IM staff guy, and and it's exciting to see people receive the Word of God for the first time. So when you think about IM staff and what does the international mission work of VOM look like, it's those three things. Responding to persecution, advancing the kingdom, and distributing Bibles. And I just want to tell you again, these are the most exciting days to be alive in the history of the church because that work is growing like never before. And we have more and more opportunities, and we're seeing more and more fields open to the gospel. Amen? Amen. So as we've traveled around the world, we've begun to notice something because what we're seeing around the world is really a gospel wildfire. We're seeing the gospel go forward like never before in the history of the church, never before like now. And and we're beginning to notice as we pay attention that there's a few things that that are consistent across these fields that we see. And I want to challenge you this morning with this. There's nothing geographically special about these signposts that we see in this gospel wildfire. There's nothing that says you have to live in Africa to experience a gospel wildfire. You have to live in China or the Middle East. 
I really think the Lord would love to send a gospel wildfire to Bartlesville or South Carolina or wherever you may happen to be from. And I want us, as we walk through this passage, just to think about what would it look like here if we began to, to value some of these, these things we'll talk about. So just so you'll know that I didn't make this up off the top of my head, I want to read some scripture to you. I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Father, thank you for your word this morning, and may it resonate with us, Father, and may we pursue you like never before. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. So this gospel wildfire, well... I, I wasn't the best student in school, so I don't remember a lot of middle school. One, it was back in the black and white days, right? It was a long time ago. So I'm going to give you the seventh grade science version of what do you have to have to have a fire? To make a fire, you have to have an atmosphere, right? There has to be some oxygen around. I, I hear there are no fires in space. I don't know if that's true or not, right? But I hear that. So you have to have, you have, to have an atmosphere. You have to have some fuel, something to burn, right? Something has to to burn. It doesn't burn by itself. Then you need a spark, something to start the fire. And then if you really want it to go, you need an accelerant, right? You need some gasoline. And this morning, I want us to look at these four things in the way that we're seeing them around the world, okay? And again, I want you to think about if this could happen here. So the atmosphere of this gospel wildfire that we're seeing is prayer. Prayer. We're seeing a commitment to prayer like never before around the world. I have a dear friend, one of my oldest friends in missions. He lives in Burma, and, and he leads a, a network of church planters really working in one of the most hostile areas in Burma. And these are young people, right? I still remember speaking at a graduation of one of his missionaries, and he was 19 years old. He just finished Bible school. And I said, brother, tell me, what are you going to do? And he said, well, he goes, my plan is I'm going to move into a village where there are no churches and no Christians. And I'm going to build a little lean-to in the forest, and I'm going to live there. And I'm going to work in the rice fields, and I'm going to share the gospel. And I'm going to plant a church, I'm going to appoint a leader, and I'm going to move and do it again. And I said, he's 19, right? Sure you are, right? Well, I, of course you will. And then I said, well, brother, how long do you think you'll do this? He said, till Jesus comes back. My country is lost, right? 
So these are the kind of guys that John has, but they face a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulty in their field. And I was talking with John a a year or so ago, and I said, John, how do you do this? How do you keep your people in the field? Because if they're like me, one time, right? I'm going to live in a lean-to by a rice paddy? I don't know about that, right? And I ask him, how do you do it? What's the secret to, to your success? Because they're seeing people come to Christ. They're planting churches all across a very hostile place. And he said, oh, brother, he said, the secret is Fridays. I said, Fridays? What in the world? What is, what is Friday? I mean, I like Fridays, right? You guys, best day of the week, right? Friday. I said, what is it about Friday? He said, oh, he said, on Friday, we all come together and we fast and we pray every Friday, all day. He still sends me emails and says, brother, we're praying Friday. How can we pray for you? Right? So he said, the secret is we get together and we fast and we pray. And if someone can't make it to our meeting, they'll get together with another Christian somewhere and they'll spend Friday in prayer. Do you want to know the secret to to the success of this mission? It's prayer. They're not spectacular people. They're really committed people, but they're not people that would wow you. And you would walk out and say, oh, you may be the best preacher I've ever heard. That'll never happen with, with John's guys. But it is true that they are committed to what God has called them to do, and they are committed to being men of prayer. And we're seeing this around the world. We have a, a partner who has this crazy idea that the, way, the thing that God has called them to do is to knock on every door in the world and hand someone a gospel tract. Well, can you imagine that? Could you imagine if, if I came here this morning and I said, hey, guys, Here's what we're going to do. We're really not going to have a service this morning. I've got a bunch of tracks back there, and we're just going to bomb this neighborhood, right? How many of you would go with me? Yeah, see, there you go. I got, I, got, I got a whopping 1%. We're on fire here, right? So what this organization does is their, their whole thing is we're just going to go knock on every door. And that's not just America. In fact, I don't even think they do it in America. I think they figure that's your job. They're doing it in, in really hostile places, in really scary places. And we were meeting with the leaders, and I said, brother, wh- what about in a Muslim village? How, how do you send, and these aren't white guys walking into these villages. These are indigenous workers with a little satchel full of gospel tracts. H- how do you do that? I mean, how do you, because it seems to me like it's like plan 101 to be martyred, right? I'm going to walk into a village and just go door to door handing out gospel tracts. And if you get angry, I'm just next door, right? Or I'm just right down the street. And he said, here's what we do. He said, if we believe it's going to be a really difficult and hostile area, we set aside seven days to fast and to pray. Seven days to fast and pray. And when that's over, we go and let the chips fall where they may. Right? I love guys like that. It's the coolest part of this job. I get to talk to guys like that. Let the chips fall where they may. And they do. And they go. And they're committed to prayer. And guys, the atmosphere, what it is that brings about this gospel wildfire is a commitment to prayer. Now, we're Americans. I'll I'll use me as an example. I'm an American Christian, and I've read a lot of books about prayer. And and I've sat in a lot of prayer meetings, right? And and I like to talk about prayer. What I don't do a lot of is pray, right? But if we're going to see a gospel wildfire, imagine if we committed ourselves to being like John's gang and these others who are committed to prayer, and it creates this atmosphere where God can move. And I, I want to challenge you guys personally to become people of prayer. I had a friend once who said, here's the challenge. If you pray two minutes a day, what would happen if you prayed four? If you pray 10 minutes a day, what would happen if you prayed 20 minutes a day? If you pray an hour a day, what would happen if you prayed two hours a day? Do you think God would move? Well, of course we do. Well, then why don't we do it? 
So I want to challenge you guys. The atmosphere is prayer, being committed to prayer. The second thing we need is we need some fuel. And the fuel that we're seeing in this gospel wildfire around the world is the proclamation of the gospel. Okay, There's a lot of causes out there. We've got human trafficking and, and all kinds of things that are, are big deals in our world. But what we see persecution and what we see this wildfire coming up around is the proclamation of the gospel. The simple proclamation of the gospel. In Acts 28, the very end of the book of Acts, Paul writes that they are bold and unhindered in their witness, right, as he's in prison. And, and Sean and I have talked a great deal about, I wonder if it's our lack of boldness that causes all of our hindrances to the gospel. We're afraid to say it, so we just assume that people won't receive it. What would happen if we just, with great boldness, went out and proclaimed the gospel? Would God move those hindrances out of our way? First Christmas at VOM, I had the privilege with Jason of going to North India and meeting with the 2020 Network. This is a network of pastors and leaders and missionaries who are working in UP state, Uttar Pradesh, one of the most unreached states in India. Uh, they've really focused on it, and we were able to meet with a thousand indigenous church planters. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it's like to sit in a room with a thousand guys who risk their life every single day? And just to listen to their stories. The brother I'm going to tell you about probably would struggle to find Philippians in his Bible, but he's a rock star in the kingdom, okay? So I'm talking to this brother, and I said, well, brother, tell me, tell me about your work. What does your ministry look like? He said, oh, my brother, the Lord has given me a wonderful ministry. I said, I bet he has. Tell me about it. He said, I ride my bicycle into a village. It's just a simple bike, but he had a drum on the middle of the crossbar, and then behind him, he had a little lantern sitting on some gospel tracks, and he had a little speaker on the front of his bicycle. And I said, he said, well, what I do is I ride my bicycle into a village where there are no Christians, and I bang on my drum. Now, imagine that, guys. Imagine if we're all going to go down to the mall, and we're just going to bang on a drum in the parking lot and see what happens, right? You'll get the same response he does. A crowd comes around and says, why is this guy banging on a drum, right? So he bangs on his drum until people come out, and then he preaches the gospel. And I said, well, how does that go? He said, sometimes, brother, it's amazing. He said, people hear the gospel. We see their heart touched, changed. We see them repent. We see the birth of a church. I said, brother, that is incredible. I said, what about other times? He said, oh, they beat me. And I said, oh, brother, I'm so sorry. I said, well, what do you do then? What do you do when they beat you? He said, when I wake up, I ride to the next village. You can listen to every episode of VOM Radio at www.vomradio.net. There are a thousand guys like this brother riding around UP State today banging on a drum and preaching the gospel. And this is what this has resulted in is a, a state going from almost no Christians a decade ago to about 3% Christian. Well, there's 200 million people. So I'm not good at math, but that's a lot of people, right? And it's from the simple proclamation of the gospel. This is the passion. This is the, the desire to see the gospel go forth that ignites or that brings about this gospel wildfire. So I'll just ask you a real simple question. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? It's really easy in the States. We, we fall into this deal of we'll just invite them to church. Well, that's not what Jesus said. The Great Commission didn't say go into all the world and invite people to church. It said to preach the gospel, right? 
So we need to be preaching the gospel. The fuel is the proclamation of the gospel. Now we need a spark, right? We need a spark, something to light this. We got the atmosphere, this prayer that's going up around us, and we, we have this fuel of the proclamation of the gospel, and then the spark comes. And the spark that we're seeing around the world is the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what we're seeing, some just amazing things that are happening. We hear all the time about, among Muslims, dreams and visions, to the point that we met with some missionaries who said that's become so common that we just ask people when we meet Muslims, have you had any strange dreams lately? And they said, it's amazing. So how often they'll say, oh, I, I have, as a matter of, you know. And then among Hindus and Buddhists, what we're seeing is signs and wonders. It, it, that same group, the 2020 Network in UP State, here's their outreach strategy for their churches. At the end of the service, the pastor will say, how many of you have someone sick in your village? Think your neighborhood. Four or five people will raise their hand. He'll say, stand up, and the church will surround them and pray that they can go and pray for the sick and see them healed and preach the gospel. And I'm like, now that's a pretty cool outreach strategy, right? So I was talking to the pastor afterwards. He said, it may be that we're just kind of lazy. He said, we really don't want to spend 12 weeks trying to convince them that Jesus is God. We just want God to show up, right? And what we're seeing is the reason we see this, I believe, is this. Muslims are already monotheists. They already believe in one God. They just don't believe Jesus is his son. So Jesus is what? He's showing up and saying, hey, by the way, I'm the son of God. And then among Hindus and Buddhists, Hindus, especially in India, Hindus have, by some estimations, 400 million gods. If it's half that, that's still a bunch, right? If it's half that again, it's still a lot. They have a lot of gods, and they spend all of their time trying to appease the gods, right? So if I, I go please this god, I make some kind of offering to this god, now I've upset this god. So now I, I've got to go here and somehow appease this god, and uh-oh, now this one's mad. And they spend their life trying to appease the god and in fear of the gods. And if they're going to follow Jesus, Jesus has to be more powerful than their God. And Jesus seems to be just fine with showing up and showing how powerful he is across the Hindu and, Muslim and Buddhist world. So we're seeing this spark of the Holy Spirit. Favorite story, Gauda. He had one of the most amazing things. A group of gypsies, a group of gypsies had come to Christ, had been driven from the village and forbidden to use the well in the village. Well, I don't know if you've been to India, but you need water in India really bad. So he comes to us and he says, we'd like to drill a well to give these people some water. So we approve the project, and they go to drill the well. And they drill the first hole, dry as a bone, right? It is India, by the way. Dry as a bone. They do it again. They drill a second hole. Again, it's dry. At this point, the guy who runs the company, this Indian businessman, almost feels guilty that he's just taking their money because there's no water here. Gauda said, wait a moment, right? He goes back, he rounds up the church, and he brings the church to where they're drilling the wells. There's this amazing photo of, of these gypsies worshiping God, dancing and worshiping, including Gauda, with a big grin on his face and, and worshiping the Lord. And in the photo, what you see is the third hole, water, right? So God put water where there was no water, right? Everyone, the experts said there's no water here. No problem for our God. He did it in the Old Testament. He's doing it in India today. And that water's still there and still flowing. So the spark is the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God to show up and make people notice. And then what do you need for the accelerant? Persecution. Persecution, accelerant. So part of looking at America, we hear this a lot. 
I'm pretty excited about what's happening for the church in America right now because my whole life, I just entered my sixth decade walking on this planet. The whole time I've been alive, the church has been a subculture in America. If the world has movies, we have Christian movies. And the world has rock, and we have Christian rock. And the world has yoga, and we have Christian yoga, or whatever the latest thing is, right? So we've been a subculture this whole time. And what's happening right now As you watch these decisions come from the Supreme Court, is the church is changing. The church is becoming a counterculture. We'll no longer be a subculture of what we see around us. We will be counter. And I read enough church history to know the church thrives as a counterculture. The church struggles when it's a subculture. When the church is just another option, just a cleaner option of the world, the church struggles. And that's what we've seen here Now it's a counterculture, just like it is in the fields that we work with around the world. So, as I said earlier, what? These are the most exciting days to be alive in the history of the church. And God is spreading that word. This this gospel wildfire is expanding through persecution. We see it happening all around us. I I barely need to tell you guys any stories about persecution because we see them all the time here. And you read about them. But this persecution, when the church is persecuted, the church thrives. The church expands. If you look about where, where is the church growing fastest in the world, it's really funny. The, the places in the world where the church is growing the most rapidly are also some of the worst persecutions in the world. So if persecution comes to America, praise the king. Amen? Because what it means is the church is going to explode, right? So what do we do? How do you and I, as we wrap up, how do we get involved in this gospel wildfire? Because I hope if nothing else, you at least want to see this. You want to experience this, or maybe for your kids or your grandkids. So what do we do? It's really simple. We begin to make prayer a priority. We be, not just something we talk about, not something we just do at the dinner table, but it becomes a priority in our homes, in our workplace, in our church. We become a people of prayer. And not just talking about it, but actually doing it, right? Bow your head, close your eyes, and pray. We begin to proclaim the gospel with boldness. Hey, you know what? There's a big change coming in America, and Christianity is no longer just, uh, we're just nicer than you are. There's going to be a huge distinction between the church and the world, and we have the opportunity to proclaim it with boldness. If everyone else can be bold, why can't Christians? If everyone else can take to television and everywhere else and tell people how just unbelievably decadent they are, depraved they are, why can't Christians proclaim the gospel with boldness? Don't be ashamed of anything. You have nothing. If you're a follower of Christ, you have nothing to be ashamed of, right? Proclaim the gospel with boldness. Trust God to show up in your ministry, right? In the midst of all of our ministry. Pray for the sick. Pray with confidence. God shows up, right? It's not just over there, it's here. So begin to pray. Begin to look for the Holy Spirit. Begin to to believe that God still does stuff today. Because our international staff, if we can tell you nothing else, we can tell you this. God is very active around the world, right? We're not just going around the world arguing with people. God is showing up. He'll do it here. And then finally, decide now to take our stand on the gospel, no matter what. No matter what the the world says to us, no matter what the prevailing political correctness is, we take our stand on the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we don't back down from anybody. I'm praying that the church in America would become once again militant. Let's begin to be bold and unashamed and tell people, here I stand, I can do no other. 
Amen? So will you pray with me? Pray that as we've seen this around the world, we would even see it here and pray for our brothers and sisters that are spread around the world today. Thank you, Jonathan, for sharing this week. You can connect with us online to hear more episodes of The Voice of the Martyrs Radio at vomradio.net. You can also give online to support VOM's Bible distribution work or to support some of the frontline workers like those Jonathan talked about. That website is vomradio.net. Thanks for being with us. I hope you'll join us next week on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.